Georgia to Maine or Maine to Georgia, however you want to look at it. There's northbound and southbound and there's different strategies and, you know, things you have to deal with going either direction. It's not the same. It's not the same attempt one way or the other. Hey guys, welcome to the 11th episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Morgan. And so today's guest is Justin Weber, who was part of the production of the film Made to be Broken, featuring Carl Meltzer's southbound Appalachian Trail fastest known time attempt, which he was successful at. Justin and I talk about his experience during the filming and the attempt, how he was involved, uh, what it meant to him, and what his future holds. Sit back, uh, hold tight, and enjoy. This is a really good show. Hey, man. Hey, Christian. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, oh, no. Like, yeah, please, you came on. Please, you came on to say hi. So a little bit of, about me. I'm uh, 41 years old. I live in a little town called uh, Nocatee in northeast Florida in the United States. I know you're in the UK. Um, I am a, a documentary filmmaker and I run a, a small creative agency here. Shall we, actually, I probably should just jump in here and let the uh, audience know how we met. So, so I was in Thailand and I was on a podcast with Kyle, what's his last name? Can you remember? On Trail Tales. And, um, O'Grady? Yeah, yeah, I think it's Kyle O'Grady. And um, he's got a really cool uh, podcast and it's pretty much just about through hiking long trails. And um, I was on that because I went for the record on the Appalachian Trail. I helped set the record back in 2018. Then I had my own failed attempt in 2019. And you listened to that show, didn't you? You actually listened to the show with me and Kyle. Yeah, I did. And that's what, what led me to reaching out to you and how we got connected. But uh, I was starting to do initial research on a, a a documentary series that I'm in the process of developing called Record Attempt. And the first season is going to be on the Appalachian Trail, um, largely focusing on the stories of past record holders, but weaving in the attempt and a current attempt, someone actually going for uh, a new attempt on the AT. Um, so I heard you in the podcast and you brought up that, uh, you think you felt that things really fell apart because your crew and I had some experience working on the film made to be broken that highlighted Carl Meltzer's uh, 2016 attempt. So I figured I'd go for it and ask, uh, reach out to you and see if we could, we could open up some dialogue and um, see if I could be a part of your attempt. And and that's how the I, I, I got to describe it. That's how the bromance was um, begun, man. Because me and Justin chat a good couple of hours each week, so it's good fun. And you're no stranger to me. And um, yeah, really, no, I really appreciate you coming on. And the reason I've asked you on specifically is because you're a you're a filmmaker. You're into film, and you actually did have something to do with uh, part of the production of the documentary made to be broken with Carmel, so which is you know, his third and final attempt on the 80. Just before we go into that, how about giving the, the listeners and um, a little bit of a background on, you know, what actually 
what in interests you and what in what first inspired you to get involved with you know filming and stuff with, with filmmaking okay so it goes kind of way back and in, into high school actually i was uh i had i took a tv productions class as an elective and um we were shooting video so i can't really call it film but um that sort of piqued my interest in high school to start uh, going down that path and i uh I went to the University of North Florida in Jacksonville to get a communications degree in the in the TV production side of things. And um, my goal was to go into documentary filmmaking. I had a a bit of a a snafu with with feature films uh, at some point, and I decided I didn't want to go into narrative. And I thought documentary was a a really interesting format and something that you the barrier of entry was much lower than breaking into to Hollywood. So after I graduated college, I, um, I created a surf film that followed uh, two surfers from Florida to Maine uh, during the peak of hurricane season, the uh, 2004 hurricane season. So that was my first foray into to filmmaking. It wasn't uh, a tr traditional documentary, but um, it, it was uh, more on along the lines of a uh, low budget endless summer if if people are familiar with that film wow so that that's pretty epic like i mean that must have i think we've spoke a little bit about it anyway but so that must have included some kind of epic road trip as well and you say from florida all the way to maine in did you call it hurricane what season hurricane season so yeah uh Technically, hurricane season runs from, uh, I want to say June 1st to November 30th, but there's a, um, there's a peak of that season that starts sometime in August and runs until September 15th. I think they call that the peak of hurricane season. So uh, on the East Coast, um, that's usually our best window for, for good surf. So the storms are actually you know, rolling off of Africa and tracking toward the United States um, versus the, the swell that we get in the winter and the other times that it's all cold front dependent. So it's like really wind driven. So the storms are coming actually from west to east versus hurricane season where they're coming off of Africa and toward us. So we chose that window of opportunity to sort of highlight what the East Coast is, is capable of producing and um you know we kind of get a bad rap versus california and and australia and some of these other places so uh, i decided i wanted to show like a real story of two people taking a road trip and kind of what that experience was like and that's what what we ended up capturing we spent uh, two and a half months in in a in a 1986 class c uh, rv with I think it was a Winnebago. Um, we bought nice. it for 6,500 bucks and we were towing a 1962 Ford Falcon, uh, cargo van. And, um, we, uh, that was going to be our on screen vehicle. So it wasn't totally, uh, genuine. And the fact that we weren't showing people how we were actually living and, and being transported, you know, across the, across the country. So we were towing it on a tow dolly 
and we'd have to disconnect the drive shaft of the the Ford van every time we want to take it on and off, disconnect, reconnect. We got to South Carolina and said, screw it, we're going to drive this thing the rest of the way. So we stopped towing it and we drove the RV and the van alongside of it the rest of the way to Maine. So it wasn't just, it's not even just about filming. Like that sounds like it was just as much about an adventure um, and, and kind of, you know, getting out onto the road as, as also filming. So you must have kind of an adventurous spirit as well to, to want to be part of something which kind of takes you out of your routine. I mean, that's totally out of your routine and your comfort zone. Would you, would you say you're like adventurous or what was it an adventure as well? Oh, it was absolutely an adventure. And, um, I, I would I would venture to say that had we had a film crew recording what we were doing, it would have been way more interesting than the actual film that we made. And uh, yeah, it was definitely an adventure. And I I I, I'm, I love road trips. Like I, it's I'm super passionate about getting in a car and just going. My growing up, that's my dad. My dad wasn't a super wealthy guy, but he. Uh, what he lacked in, in money, he made up for in, in spontaneity, spontaneity. And uh, so there were so many times when we were a kid where he's like, all right, pack a bag, we're getting in the car and we're going, we drive to you know, Chicago or something and or Orlando. It was just super spontaneous. So it was always a fun time. And uh, I got hooked on, on, a, on the road trip then. And I bought my first car from, money I saved washing dishes in high school. So as soon as I got my driver's license, I started taking my own road trips. And that's when I, I grew up in, in Pensacola on the Gulf of Mexico. We had, our waves are pretty crappy there. I was a surfer, I'm a surfer, but um, we would drive over to the East coast, which was about five and a half hour drive to go surf in high school when they were during hurricane season. And that's really kind of what was the genesis of the idea. Yeah. And what ultimately led me to go to college in Jacksonville. So Who yeah, adventurous. Yeah. Um, am I an outdoors person? You know, I like being outside, but I, I, I could, I could never call myself an outdoorsman, you know, like I just, it's yeah. not, that's not what I am. But. Well, a road trip is in, in a, uh, like on four wheels, isn't it? In a, in some vehicle. Yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, outdoors is kind of out on your own two feet, I guess, if we we're going to start defining what an outdoors person is. But having a road trip is it's an equally adventurous endeavor because it's that letting go of. I mean, here I am like psychoanalyzing the whole thing. But no, seriously, it's just like um, pure freedom, I think. I think yeah, anyway. I, yeah, yeah, now I know why I like road trips. Same as when we were kids, me and my sister, we'd be in the back of the car mom and dad would be uh, up front smoking cigarettes, the windows would be shut, you know, we'd be choking. And um, yeah, we'd just be going on some crazy road trip, like moving across the country or something. Maybe our belongings were in the car. Just, yeah, I never thought of it. That That's why I could be adventurous now because of my childhood. Uh, yeah, mm. sorry to interrupt, but it, it's, it's freedom. It's pure freedom. You, you're not on someone else's time schedule no one's telling you where to be and when to be and where to go. And you just, you just go. Yeah. Um, how about the two surfers? Uh, did, were they, yeah, yeah. uh, your, were they your friends or like, uh, who were those guys? Yeah, that's a good who question. Are those so they guys? were, they were, they were amateur 
surfers, they weren't, you know, they, they were accomplished in the sense that they were good wave riders, but um, they never competed professionally or anything like that. They were, they were one of them I met in college and the other one was a good friend from high school. And he, he moved over to go to school around the same time I did. And um, they, they had both, we had all just graduated college. And this was, you know, really kind of that, that um, not, I wouldn't say a gap year, you know, they take in some places like Australia, they have a gap year before they go in into the workforce or sometimes yeah. before they start, you know, secondary school. But um, it's just kind of the idea, like they were both focused on going, going and starting a career, but you know, they wanted to take, you know, kind of one last road trip uh, before they joined the rat race, so to speak. And that's really what it was. It was, it was, uh, it was an inexpensive way to see the country too. Um, so, yeah. And we wanted to document it and make something a little bit different that, you know, a lot of the surf films at the time uh, were, were, were really performance driven. There's no story, you know, it was just a video. Um, so it, I wanted to make something that was a little bit different. And uh, yeah, so these guys, these, these guys were accomplished, you know, they were watchable, but they weren't professional. So I think maybe that was part of um, maybe, you know, not having big names didn't draw a big audience to the film, but um, yeah. it did have like a, a small, you know, cult following. And uh, but yeah. They're all my favorite. My favorite films, anyway, the the cult ones. Yeah, so those guys um, had the ha, ha, and how long was the road trip in total from when you guys left to when you got there? It, two and a half months. So we left. We left in uh, August, and we were done. And I want to say just before November, sometime in October. August. Did you have? Yeah. Did you have any big, um, cause when I think of hurricane, I think of, so that makes a big wave, I guess. And that yeah. makes it good to surf at that time. But did you have any like really strong winds inland as well? And some, we did, we, um, so there was a, a hurricane that entered the Gulf of Mexico when we were, uh, uh in Cape Hatteras, uh, which is in North Carolina. Uh, it's about, it's a good 13 hour drive. So we made the decision to drive to the Gulf coast, which would, which took us out of our, our chronology. So we, we decided to go to the Gulf and try and score waves from hurricane Ivan, which directly hit Pensacola where we were staying. And in the film, <laughs> we uh, made it look like we were, we left, uh before the storm hit but in actuality we stayed and rode it out and it was the most intense hurricane i've ever been through um it was a it was a category four right before it made landfall but i think it made landfall at category three which is like you know sustained winds of 130 miles an hour yeah yeah it was every bit of that and uh you know we had a an rv that we parked out in a parking lot. So it wasn't near any trees and parked the front of the RV facing, I, I believe to the, to the West and the back of it to the East. So knowing that the winds would be whipping across, you know, forward and backwards. And then when the, when the winds started to subside, they would be blowing against 
the RV. Yeah. And we rode it out in a friend's house and we came back the next morning after the storm had passed and it was still there untouched. And we got back on the road about eight hours after the storm was gone and, and picked back up in uh, Virginia Beach. So we drove all through the night and kind of picked back up and went on our way to Maine from there. But uh, when I was served, when I was yeah, go ahead, when I was um, younger, I was I think it was 1987. I was in we're living in a caravan on a farm and there was quite a famous storm in the UK and the windows were like bowing in a little bit. And me, my mom, my dad and sister lived in it. And my dad said, I think we need to get out the caravan. So we got out the caravan and we jumped in. We had this car. I don't know if you've heard of Skodas, but we had a Skoda. And we, my yeah, dad... Check, were, check. Yeah. It's check like it, it had a bit of a, a reputation back then for being not a very good car. And we revert, my dad pulled it next to this gravel truck full of gravel, which was really heavy, not going anywhere. And that caravan actually picked up into the air and smashed onto the one next to it which my uncle <laughs> was in but he wasn't in it sorry the, that he was um his his caravan but he was out that day so yeah i've seen storms you know firsthand 100 i think it, we had about 120 mile an hour winds and stuff and yeah, you don't want to be out in one of those you know i mean it's no pretty pretty serious stuff so that and then um so that's kind of where you were and then how about also how did you get introduced into the project with the film made to be broken and Carl Meltzer how did that happen yeah sure so I after this film I, I went on have various other jobs and then in um, 2011 I started a, a little creative agency a little small media company we worked for for in brand development <clears throat> did some content marketing and we had some uh, projects we worked with Red Bull on, and there was a, the director for Made to be Broken was a, a cinematographer as well, and we knew him um, professionally. We'd hired him uh, a couple of times to do a few commercial projects. And so we, we became friends, and then his, his uh, producer for Made to be Broken was gonna go on maternity leave, and he needed someone to fill in so he reached out to me and asked me if i could help him produce the film and i uh, would come on as a supervising producer and work through the entire uh, production so he hired me in july and carl started his attempt on august the third so i had a couple of weeks before before uh, he started his attempt and we we never we didn't go out in the field until Carl reached uh, Southern North Carolina, uh, the director and I. Um, but we had a we had a film crew that followed him from Katahdin all the way to Springer Mountain with him the entire time. So my my job was basically to um, provide logistical support, manage the budget. Uh, if any, if the film crew ran into, into any issues, I would help them out. I worked with uh, this lady um, who who provided and secured all the permits for the filming and the state parks. Uh, we worked with Red Bull a bit, and that was my job. Yeah, and wow, I really want to talk about that because 
first of all, I suppose, let's, can you explain what the film is about? And for anyone who out there who maybe hasn't seen it and, um, and then I could, and then we can go forward from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Carl Meltzer for, for those that don't know, he is the winningest hundred mile ultra runner of all time. I think he's won 38 races. He was a Red Bull athlete. Uh, so Red Bull does these really cool athlete projects throughout the year. Every year they'll do three or four um, major film productions where they'll take some sort of uh, extreme athlete. You know, Carl, I wouldn't call Carl Meltzer an extreme athlete, but um, he, he's an extreme individual. Um, so the idea, I, I believe, was, was born a couple years prior. Carl had gone out and made two different attempts. One, he actually finished the trail. I believe it was 54 days. Another time, he abandoned his attempt. And after that second attempt, Red Bull, I think he brought the idea of running the Pony Express to them, and they documented that. So they had some experience with him on that side of things, and, and he had brought this idea to them after – I don't, I don't know the specifics, but um, I'm pretty sure that Carl brought the idea to Red Bull and there said, yeah, let's go for it. So he wanted to break Scott Jurek's record of uh, 46 days, 11 hours, 20 minutes. And so they, they put it together and I, don't know, I think it was a pretty short period of time that they actually did all the, the pre-production and the project planning. But um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So so, so it was a film about someone running almost 50 miles a day for pretty much 46 days, breaking, going to break the, the current record, which was also 46 days um, or, or thereabouts. So I, I don't have my stats in front of me there. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. so Carl was going to start at Mount Katahdin in Maine and he was attempting to break Scott Jerk's record and he subsequently did it. And it was the entire thing was captured on, on film. Wow. And, and this is, so again, for people out there, maybe tuning in who not known about the Appalachian trail, the Appalachian trails, like one of the long trails in America and it's a 2000 mile plus wilderness trail, which not allowed any motorized vehicles on. You can own a hike or run, and that's it you know so right no 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 bicycles no no horses it's a single track it runs i guess right now they're saying it's 2193 miles uh currently yeah. when when jurek and and Meltzer both had their attempts it was 2189 miles so the parts of the trail change and add and subtract at times but it runs through 14 states yeah um you know from Georgia to Maine or Maine to Georgia, however you want to look at it, there's northbound and southbound and there's different strategies and, you know, things you have to deal with going either direction. That's not the same. It's not the same attempt one way or the other. Yeah. Well, so, well let me ask you this. How, how did you feel when you were asked to come to this project? Did, how, how did you feel about that? And what, how long did it take you to give an answer? if you were going to be part uh, of it. At, when, the, when the overview of the project was explained to me, um, it took me about 10 seconds to make the decision to, <laughs> to join. And oh, I was super excited. Um, there was a bit of apprehension though, because I, 
I've worked with Red Bull in the past and they have some crazy deadlines and there's expectations that you're, you're basically on 24 hours a day during a, an athlete project. So I, I was a little bit apprehensive about that just cause I had settled into like a pretty normal work schedule at that time running, running the agency. And this would be, this job was in addition to my role as the creative director of a, of an agency. <clears throat> so that part made me a bit apprehensive, but I was like, whatever, screw it. I'm going to do it. And, uh, so I just adjusted my schedule. I'd get up at four 30 in the morning and, and, and work on the agency. And then I'd <laughs> nine o'clock I'd, I'd go over to, uh, to, to the director's office, which was literally across the street and work a full day. And then I would go home and I would work some more and then go to bed and well, rinse and uh, repeat for a couple of months. Okay. So the director was actually local to you then that's pretty. Um... No, yeah, we were, we were walking distance to each other. He had, he had a small studio. Um, it was on the pretty, not on the ocean, but it was a, across the street from the ocean. So it wasn't a bad place to be anyway yeah that i, I i'm just imagining now just a beach and you know people walking with surfboards a nice um coffee shop you know uh, sounds good yeah we <laughs> we had a mexican restaurant down in the courtyard so we we there was always there was always really good you know smells coming up there and, and music playing and uh so it, it was it was an interesting time for sure um so, so let me yeah. get let, let let me get the um so the 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 range here of what uh, how long it was until you actually stepped onto the trail. So so you had a couple of weeks before Meltzer actually started his southbound attempt, and obviously I guess that's working on stuff in Florida. How long was it before you actually went out and you know because so this attempt started and you were still in Florida kind of, I guess, managing stuff, but how, and, and what did the, so speak about that for a bit and then we can go on to when you actually went to the trail. So. Yeah, sure. Uh, there, there's a little bit more to that. Um, before I, I signed on to the project, Matt Katzola is the director. He has a small, uh, he has a small production company called interpret studios. They did some pre pre attempts, uh, interviews and spent some time with, with Carl and, and Eric Bells, his sport crew and his dad up in New Hampshire. And they spent about a week up there filming with him. So all of that had been captured already. Um, before I actually ended up stepping foot on the trail myself was it happened in September. So there, there was, you know, five weeks of, of working from an office remotely and just being in pretty much constant communication with, with the film crew and Red Bull uh, from an office before Matt and I stepped foot on the trail. So we, we drove up to um, a little town called Elijay in Georgia. We rented yeah. a cabin up there. And the first time we met them was four days before Carl finished at Springer Mountain. So that would have been sometime in mid September. Okay. So when, um, when this whole, when, um, Meltzer's attempt was happening, I guess you guys are kind of on the edge of your seats really, because 
that every day there's a target and Carl's hitting that target every single day. So I suppose what kind of, um, um, stresses or tasks did you have during this time? And what was it like to watch this as it unfolded? Oh, a lot of the stresses were, um, were, were, were kind of centered around the, the film crew and the, the challenges they were having, you know, I mean, there, there were three, we really didn't even get into that, but there were three early twenties kids out there filming. Um, they were, they were accomplished cameramen at the time. They'd never, they'd never shot anything on the scale. Um, but they, you know, they were, they were also living 45 days in a, in a fifth wheel trailer that they were towing behind an F-150. So they would have to drive out, you know, a couple days, drop the trailer off at a campground and go back and forth, communicate with, with Eric Bells, who was supporting, you know, Carl, that was his primary job was to be Carl Meltzer's support crew. So it was <clears throat> trying to get them the right campground, you know, making sure that they had enough budget for food, all of that stuff, <laughs> making sure they were, you know, just, they had, you know, daily, just the challenges of daily, daily living out of a, out of a fifth wheel camper and then having to go film and find Carl on this trail every day, you know, in places where there was very little cell reception and, you know, there was, it was very difficult for them to sometimes locate Carl. And so those were things we were dealing with. We were trying to help them you know, kind of, um, get a better, uh, routine together so that yeah. they could, they could rinse and repeat. And then, you know, trying to keep up with, with, uh, the actual, um, daily notes of the, of the trip too, because Red Bull was, they delayed it, but they were also in real time delayed documenting his story notes and on a, on a micro that they had developed so people could follow along with him. So one of the, one of the roles of the film crew was, <clears throat> was the, you know, kind of photographer as well as writing all of Carl's stats down every day, you know, downloading his information from his watch and then providing that back to Red Bull and having to do that every day when they didn't have cell service or internet connection. Um, so sometimes we'd have to wait and, get the report from them and then report back to Red Bull. So there was a few stresses uh, yeah. throughout the entirety of this thing. Had you met any of the camera crew before those guys started their um, filming and so on? Yeah. I met them three days before they left. Yeah. And, and did they, um, yeah. so, so explain I, I didn't what... know any of them personally. Explain what a fifth wheel um, camper is. Yeah, fifth, a fifth wheel camper. It's it's a you know it's a small trailer that has a kitchen and a couple of beds that you tow behind a vehicle. Um, oh, okay. So you have to unhook it. it. Yeah. Yeah. In in the UK, they refer to that, I guess, as a caravan. Is it like a caravan? Have you heard yeah, it's of just that? Like a caravan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and, and so these, these kids, right. Um, they had a, and they had a car and this fifth wheel trailer and that was their whole setup. That was their setup. Yeah. Okay, so we had so outfitted they, that thing yeah, yeah. for them. 
we, yeah. we bought all the supplies, all the food, and said basically said, "Here you go." <laughs> so you, so so one of your big one of your roles actually in this was to really kind of lay the path for these guys to make it as smooth for them as possible. Like you said, in a, ahead of time booking campsites and stuff, and kind of looking after these guys who are you know capturing the footage and stuff of Carl and and bringing data back yeah what what they were doing was was a huge was a huge order um they would have to once a week you know so they're you know this is all digital now so every day they're downloading all of this footage from from the the uh, recording media putting them on hard drives and at the end of every week they would send a hard drive to an editor in california who was starting to piece together the story so we were getting real-time feedback from the editor so it was it was kind of a blessing and a curse uh because we were able to kind of correct some issues that we were we were coming across as as footage was being captured and also you know they're young and being criticized to an extent by the director and the uh the editor on on what they were capturing and and some of that so there was a little bit of stress there as well but you know nothing major and we were able to fix some hiccups and um so it wasn't you know at the end of this thing 45 days they're getting <clears throat> all of this footage and like oh my god we missed this stuff so if we we're that if we thought we were missing something we would immediately tell them like hey we need to get this you need to get on the trail more you need to use this camera more so we were able to give them almost real-time feedback so it, it, it was it was cool in that sense yeah, it does sound like uh, it almost, yeah, like a, you know, like that two brains are better than one or five brains are better than three. That kind of like, okay, yeah, you're missing out on this, get more of that. And yeah, being able to look from outside, because it must be really hard when you're, so these guys have to also not, not just capture the footage, but they also have to, um, live together as well so there must have been yeah yeah they mu must have had their own struggles between themselves you know because that's um working and living together small space probably lack of sleep so did that so that was did that fifth wheel camper sleep three then or, or it so? did it slept it slept three people so there were there were 22 23 and i think 24 two two uh guys and, and a and a girl hmm. And they were, yeah, they were together 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 45 days and some change, you know? It's, yeah, that's a, that's a big day. I don't know day. if you've ever spent that amount of time with, with any one human, much less two other humans, but uh, you can well, imagine. You, yeah, I mean, I've not been part of anything like that, but I did live with my Italian girlfriend in a camper van for a couple of years, so oh there you go yeah yeah that was almost similar um in no similar way whatsoever at all <laughs> but um <laughs> it was fun um yeah so well well how about um talking about when when you arrived on the scene you know and that because that's going to be super interesting because you've been sitting back almost like five weeks managing these guys these you know the the film crew and then suddenly you're on the set i mean that must have been exciting oh yeah it was it was incredible we so so matt and i we drove up 
it's about a seven and a half, maybe seven hour drive from, from Jacksonville up to, to LJ. And we got to go up to Springer Mountain and check it out before uh, we met we met the film crew and Carl for the first time uh, on the trail. So, you know, we, him and I just, you know, filmed all over Springer Mountain, you know, got to walk from that parking lot up to the, you know, up to the, you know, Southern Terminus or whatever, and just kind of have a good time before we even started, you know, assisting the crew and filming. So at, at the point when we met, we met the film crew and, and uh, Meltzer and Bells, we became a much larger film crew. At that point, it was me, the producer, and Matt, the director, and then we had the, the, the three members of the film team. So it became a, a totally different um, production at that point. Mm. And so the director was actually directing the camera crew when, when Carl would come off the trail, you know, and in, into these crew, these crew stops. And, and things got intense and because we knew that he was he was as they say smelling the barn he had he the the record was within reach at that time and he knew that he could do it and uh, so it was super exciting it was a bit stressful and then everyone from rebel came up the next day so we had i don't even know how many people from red bull they were staying in another cabin and so we had one of the producers from Red Bull, we had the uh, field brand manager, we had the activation manager, we had the project manager there. So this became, it became a bit of a scene every time Melster stopped for a, uh, a uh, support crew meeting. And, uh, you know, you got three cameras running and all these people around and he he'd started, you know, obviously word had gotten out so there was also onlookers and and supporters you know people just wanting to you know yeah go carl slap him a high five that sort of thing maybe run with him a little bit but yeah. uh yeah things things got really interesting and my one of my goals when i came on when i signed on to this project was to get out on the trail and and film carl a little bit i've, I've spent some time behind the camera and in, in my career so i i talked to the director and i was like look i'd love to do some trail filming and he's like yeah i'm all for that so <clears throat> my whole goal for this thing was at the end to be there and, and and run with carl a little bit on the trail and and film him and i i got to do that and uh i was not in shape for it and it was it was a bit of a challenge but you actually got some footage there right Oh, I did. I actually got a few clips that actually made the final film. So I got listed as a cinematographer too, which oh, might, cool. might be a bit of a, a slight to the other guys, but, uh, but oh, I'll no, take that, it. That, that, that's pretty awesome. You know, when you um, kind of met up with those three, the film crew, you know, the mobile film crew after you hadn't seen them physically in person for, was it about five weeks by then? I think it was five weeks. Yeah. Did they look tired? <laughs> it was six, no, six weeks, seven, yeah, six weeks. Yeah, so did the, those guys like physically aged, you know, in that time? He, they looked tired, yeah. They, they were different people um, yeah. in, in a good way. And yeah, of course. We'd, 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 become, we'd become close from afar and it, it was pretty cool because, you know, we, We'd been in we'd been in contact a lot. I'd shared you know some of their pains and frustrations and help help them through it. So when we all saw each other, it was like it was cool, man. It was like you know big hugs and 
Yeah. Like, you know, we, we'd become friends at this point and we'd just met, you know, uh, you know, five or six weeks prior, but, uh, yeah, we really all bonded. It, it was, this was an adventure film, you know, the, the whole entire thing was an adventure from the, the pre-production to the actual film, the attempt, Carl's attempt to the filmmakers trying to capture him. It, it was an adventure the entire, the entire way through. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like that was, that was portrayed in the film as well. I mean, uh, it yeah. became something different than I believe a, a typical Red Bull film is, uh, there was a, there was a pretty solid story there and, um, yeah, it was an exciting time. When you, and so you said, the, I think you, the director, so who was it again, who came up from Florida to those three of you who went and got a cabin? Is that right? No, there were, there were just two of us. It two was of you, sorry, excuse and, me. And the director, Matt, and then Matt, you the, and Matt. <clears throat> yeah. The Red Bull team came up They were, They came from Atlanta. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't much of a drive for them. It was about maybe an hour and a half from Atlanta so, for the Red Bull so, crew. So when you um, kind of, you know, went to the, the attempt that I say, like how far out was um, Meltzer at that point, you know, from the, from Springer mountain, how many couple hundred miles or something like that? Yeah. So I don't know the exact mileage, but we were, we were right near the border of North Carolina and Georgia. So he had, he had three days left. Yeah. So I would yeah, I think about you'd know the math a little. Yeah. A little well, it's about 50 miles a day, I guess. So yeah. But, but so you had to drive to, and did you stay in the cabin each night, like drive back and then come yeah, out we each did. day? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so okay. we, we stayed in the cabin each night. So two nights, two nights in the cabin, maybe three nights because the fourth night, no one slept because Carl reached Springer mountain at, I want to say about three in the morning. Um, so we had been up since one of the guys on the film crew slept in a tent with, with, with them. And I, I want to say Carl got up at three thirty in the morning, the day prior and started his final day. And so one of the guys was up for almost 40 straight hours. Wow. Yeah. 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 And you know, so how was it different managing, you know, producing from afar compared to when you were actually on the scene? How was that different? And did you think back to when, you know, you took the project on and thought, wow, it's like, it's happening. I'm actually on the scene now as well. How was it different? Oh, it's 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 you're you're present and and what everything you were thinking about going on was totally out the window because you had no idea because you'd never been there so it was it was experiencing a lot of different things because you 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 knew that the record could be broken at this point and so you you felt the intensity from from everyone there uh knowing that they'd congregated all together and they were going to be there for the end and things got things got stressful because you didn't you didn't want to miss a shot you didn't want to um, miss any sort of audio uh, syncing between the cameras that were running and you know it was hectic uh you know it was there was no there's no plan at this point because you don't you don't know whether or not he's going to get it he's it's within reach barring an injury he's going to break the record and um 
Yeah, sorry. I hope that answered it. <laughs> I, no, yeah, it sounds just like it was exciting, pretty much. You know, you you you're um, in the office, and then suddenly you're out and about, driving around in cars on the trail. How about okay? So specifically, talk about when you were. How about when you first met Carl? What did he? What what did a? I mean, I can't imagine what did a human being look like who just run pretty much two thousand miles. What did he give off? I mean, some people talk yeah. about. Um, you know, when they meet a star and they say they give off this presence. Yeah. I mean, any human being who has just run 2000 miles is going to give off a different kind of, I don't know, um, what word could I use energy or something than another? What, what did you get from Carl? Well, yeah. Well, so Carl didn't know me from Adam, right? Cause I hadn't been out there and I, I just shown up. So he didn't know whether or not I was with Red Bull or the film crew. And, uh, so I, I, I remember I hiked up and in, in North Carolina, I hiked in about half a mile and I was going to follow behind him once I caught up, once I, you know, found him. And so here comes this random person, you know, like kind of waiting on the side of the trail. Carl comes running by and he's like, Hey, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he was in great, he was in great spirits. And uh, I mean, he, he definitely had this, you know, kind of, aura about him like like you know he's a he's a I mean he's a he's a world-class athlete with you know no one knows really who he is it's like running into like Michael Jordan you know I mean he's on that level in the ultra running world so yeah there was something about him and you can't really put your finger on it but um yeah just I I tried to you know just keep up with him and he's you know he's fast hiking down this you know these the single track trail i'd never been on and just trying to keep up with him after he'd been going you know two thousand miles with probably mostly dead legs and here i am fresh coming in there and i couldn't even hardly keep up with him running down hills like wow this is this is a special human being and uh he's different yeah, yeah. It, i mean when i did watch the film myself and i think he cuts his own hair so he's definitely different <laughs> he's different and yeah uh, on on a side note um you know there were a lot of other people there um at the at the end the last two days his carl's sister came out uh cheryl carl's wife was there scott jerk was there uh david horton was there who had set the record in the early 90s so when we got into Georgia on the last day, I had spent some time with, with, with Cheryl and she was going to run in and meet him and, and bring him some more water. So she was hiking in, I don't know, four or five miles into the trail. And at a trailhead, I, I went following her in and I did an interview with her. And then I was going to follow her in to meet with Carl and then do some more trail filming. She, uh, the entrance of this trailhead, you know, on the AT, there's not a lot of switchbacks. It's mostly like just walking kind of straight up over rocks. Cheryl like blew past me. Like I couldn't even, I, I tried so hard to keep up with her. And uh, by the time that she got into the trail where it flattened out and I had reached the top of it where it finally flattened out, I, I had to stop and, you know, catch my breath. I never, I never, I didn't catch her. Or I didn't see her until her and Carl came running up. Like I never saw her again until then. I couldn't even find her. She just blazed past me. Uh, I was like, you know, 
I am. Uh, I'm not a. I'm not a trail runner. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it was pretty well, humbling. You, know? you what, what? How heavy are these? So you had a camera at this point. Yeah, I had what's called a, an Osmo made by a DJI. They make all the pretty high-end drones and the consumer-based drones. So they had this handheld camera on a gimbal, and it was. Uh, I don't know. It probably weighs a pound and a half, so it's it's pretty light. Oh, okay. but, you know, it's you're, not heavy. It's not heavy. No, and you're actually using your cell phone as a monitor. And uh, so it's, it's not heavy, but you got to pay attention to what you're doing. You know, uh, you're looking at the monitor and also trying not to trip and fall down over rocks and roots and, you know, over pretty, pretty technical terrain for a, for an, uh, you know, a layman or a novice. I was trying to give you a handicap there, you know, <laughs> yeah, four kilogram, uh, you know, camera. Yeah, no, it was, it was <laughs> pretty mean, light. So actually something I wanted to ask you about was you said that he was doing a fast downhill hiking section because yeah. I always get confused. So was he like running or was he like speed hiking down? Um, that no, bit? he was running. He was oh, running. He's running. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the long trail, um, especially Appalachian Trail. A lot of, I mean, you've even heard, you know, Joe McConaughey, aka Spring Bean, String Bean, talk about yeah, hiking it, you know, speed hike. But there is running involved, you know. I mean, Scott Jurek, and I mean, when I was out with Carol Sabay, he ran, he did a lot more running than he did hiking, you know. So it was running the AT, but yeah, hiking's included as well. So yeah, it's just interesting. There, there but, was a spot where. I can't remember the name of the place. I'm sorry. It's taxing my memory at this point, but the the spot where most people quit that have left from Springer mountain, where they throw their shoes up into the tree. Do you remember the name of that place? Yeah. It escapes me for the moment. Um, but I know exactly what you mean there. Yeah. So I had, I had, I'd hiked in there about, I don't know, three quarters, maybe a mile and had, I, I'd, followed Carl all the way out and there it's coming downhill but it's 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 not super steep grade and he was yeah he was full-on running I mean just flat out running mm. so I was following behind him and I, I was I actually kept up with him on the downhill but uh but yeah he he was running I yeah I would yeah. say he was he was probably at like a, a nine nine and a half minute pace yeah. going downhill no, that's and that might sound slow to anyone who's listening out there, the the road road runners or something. But yeah, if you've sure. been running uh, for two thousand miles and then your your schedule is oh, okay, I'm going to do sixteen hours today. Nine and a half minutes is really fast, you know. Yeah, well, let me give that yeah. some context. So he had been up since two thirty, started running at three o'clock. So he'd already put in, I. I would say 50 some odd miles that day. And so that he was going downhill at a nine and a half, nine mile, nine minute mile pace. Right. Yeah. So that whether someone would think that's slow, you know, that's a fast, you know, road runner, then. <laughs> yeah. It's trail running is always slower. And then add 2000 yeah. miles onto that. It, it becomes even more slower, but right. what, what, um, what did you take away from this? What this in this this experience? Were you mm. yourself changed, or were you inspired mm. in um, any way? 
yeah, that it's hard to put into words what I felt, but um, I, I do remember it when I when I'd hiked in and with Cheryl and she'd just blown by me. I, I took a minute and paused. There was an opening in the trees because you're in the green tunnel, as they call it, but there was an opening. And even in Georgia, you know, there's some 3,000, 3,500, I think maybe even up to 4,000 foot peaks. And so I'm just looking out over the, you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains and there's no one else there. And it, something about it, you know, you, you have this feeling you're, you're by yourself in the middle of nature and you're looking out and you have, you can just see for miles. And I was like, man, this is, this is cool to be able to experience this and, and what's happening at the same time simultaneously, someone's about to set the new record, but yeah, there was something that changed inside of me. And, and I, I was like, man, I want to get better at, at hiking on trails. And I, I you know, I'm, I've, I, at that point, I would say I fell in love with the, with the trail itself. Um, just those four days being out there. And since that time working on that project, I, I've, it's never left my mind that experience and then potentially getting back out there and, and creating a, a film about, about the trail itself. So I, it, it, it's hard to describe what I felt. I can't really articulate it, but it, it's more of a feeling, you know, uh, than something I can put into words. And, no, uh, but, I, but it was, I it was like, it was life changing for sure. Yeah. But that physical thing of stand, I mean, I, I, I also, you know, I've run or maybe about, I think just about half of that trail, whether it's in training, my own failed attempt or um, helping Sabe, you know, as a pacer. Yeah. There were times when um, I think more when I was by myself, because when I was with Sabe, it was all about, you know, keeping with him. But yeah, I've had that point where you're standing and you're looking around, you're at the top of a 4,000 foot peak and you can just see for miles and miles. And there's just this green rolling green, you know, and blue sky. And there's this feeling of you're not there with anybody, but you just feel so connected at that point, you know, like you just feel so almost like you're at home, you know, like, wow, I'm so far away from home, but I am home right now. You know, it's, um, yeah. You said it better than I could, than I did. And, uh, I would, I would agree with everything you just said. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we, I don't want to skip over the finish, man. What was it? Sure. Yeah. Go on, man. Were you already at the finish or who yep. got there first? You or uh, Meltzer? <clears throat> Definitely us. Cause we had to, um, light the top of a mountain at three in the morning and we had to coordinate the film crew with this, you know, final, you know, stretch, you know, from the parking lot at Springer mountain up to the, to the peak, it's just shy of a mile. So we had, we had arrived in the, the parking lot, I would say two or three hours before Carl had gotten there and kind of game planned what we were going to do. Um, so the idea was to, set up kind of like a an outdoor set on the top of the mountain where we we'd hung lights in the trees and uh, we were gonna put a microphone you know a wireless mic on on Carl as soon as he reached the parking lot so we had to have people down in the parking lot 
people midway on the trail and then people at the peak of the mountain where he would stop and you know slap the plaque that at the southern terminus mm. <clears throat> so yeah two and a half hours prior so we were trying to communicate with with someone that stayed in the parking lot through a you know a, a walkie talkies two-way radios and it's not it was really spotty at best so we we're we had someone about halfway up which was myself and um, one of the other uh, production crew members and then everyone else was on top of the mountain and waiting for carl mm -hmm. and so we were talking back and forth to the there was a someone from red bull in the parking lot that we were talking to and as soon as carl reached the parking lot they're like all right it's on so we knew he had about a half mile to go and as soon as Carl got to us, we could hear him, right? Like it's quiet, there's footsteps. So we would follow behind him and we had a, we had a light that the, her name was Kate, Kate, Red, uh, Kate Redling, the, no, not Kate Redling. I'm sorry. Kate Wenzel. Mm -hmm. Kate Wenzel was holding, she was with me and I was holding that, that Osmo camera. And as soon as Carl passed us, we followed him up and the, the other members of the film crew were on top and we, Kind of went off to the side and Carl, you know, slapped the the plaque and said, "Game over." I remember; I'll never forget that. But uh, yeah. I'm like following, you know, right behind him as he's going wow. up. And it was cool, man. It was. So you we'd actually all been, we'd all been up for you know since six o'clock that morning, and it was three in the yeah. morning the next day, so thirty and, and hours you, or something at this point. You guys followed him from uh, where. So you've got the car park because I've been there myself, I think, twice. Yeah. Yeah, you've got the car park, you've got the um, forest road or the, the dirt road, and then the trail begins. And yeah. so you guys followed him from where the trail begins to the, um, well, to the finish where he said game over. No, no, we were, we were, we were almost to the top of the, to the mountain. We were, we were oh, okay. off to the side. Yeah. We were, yeah. we were waiting. It was, yeah. It was more than a half mile from the parking lot. It was probably three quarters of the way up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, cause that's, that's a pretty rocky, technical, rooty, um, gnarly bit of trail there. It's oh, not really it, that it was, smooth. man. We, <laughs> no, cause we'd all, we'd all hiked up to the top with all the gear and, and the lights and all the other camera gear. Like, I remember I was carrying one of the backpacks. It had to have weighed 50 pounds and, you know, hiking up that after being up for 30 hours, it was, it was something. I mean, going, going back down, I'll never forget. It felt like it took three hours to walk down to the parking lot from the top. <laughs> we were all so tired. Yeah. But, uh, I, I suppose what also, Oh yeah. Another question as well, before I forget yeah. is so when Carl came, on that last stretch did he have i think was david horton and scott jurek running with him or were they already yeah, at the so, finish no 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 so they scott and david they they ran the final 30 miles with carl wow so they held they held up in the parking lot so carl could have his moment at the top and then they they, they came up about a minute or two after after carl and, that's uh, that's amazing. I mean, all you know, just for people who don't know, David Horton actually held the Pacific Crest Trail record and also the Appalachian Trail. And he's now, I think he's seventy. And he's that 70. was, did you say that was in two thousand and sixteen? 
Yeah, it was 2016. So he would have been 66. Yeah, 66 years old, running the last and 30 he just miles. Had a, and I just found out he had a knee replacement. He wasn't even supposed to be running. But he ran 30 miles. It's 66 yeah. years old. Yeah. No, and he, he took a pretty pretty nasty fall because when he, he got to the top, his his arm was all scraped up and his knee was scraped up. So I think, you know, five miles prior to the Springer, he had fallen, taken a pretty bad fall, and he kept going. He didn't quit. Yeah. Well, um, for anyone listening who wants to go and hear me interview David Orton, that's episode three. So go and have a look back in the archives and check out that. He's a very inspiring individual. So it must have, did it feel, I guess not sad. I suppose you guys are all going home and it's over. But was that kind of, you know, when the lights go off and you start walking away, was that feeling of it's over or didn't, when did the feeling of it's over arrive? You know, uh, it arrived the the following day when we. So we went to um, we all went to Atlanta. We spent the night. We spent actually we went to, <laughs> we all went to sleep. So we got we got to bed. We got back to the cabin about four in the morning, maybe four thirty we got like maybe three hours of sleep and then we all went to Atlanta and we kind of had a little bit of, I wouldn't call it a rap party, but the crew went out. We went out with Eric Bells and Cheryl. We went out and did a little bit of uh, bar hopping, shot some darts, played some pool. But um, yeah. that, that following day when we were, I, I drove Kate, Kate Wenzel back to Jacksonville and the other um, two of the other film crew, they stayed and they, cause they were going to interview Carl, like a post race interview for, for press and stuff. And, uh, so when I was driving back to Jacksonville, that's when I was, I, I had the, that like kind of empty feeling of, man, yeah. this, is it. this is it. And I wasn't a part of the post-production. So I was a super supervising producer during, uh, live production. So my, my role was over and I, yeah, it was, it was like, man, I, I'm I'm a bit sad and uh, I didn't yeah. really want it to end at that point. I think a, a little bit of psychoanalyst here. The reason you were sad is because it was such an epic adventure. That's why it was such an amazing uh, thing to be a part of. Totally. Yeah. And and to be able to be there the last four days and, and to be on top of that mountain when, when he got the record, it was, I mean, it's a once in a lifetime deal. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, it was, it was cool. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, to have Scott Jurek and David Orton there and, you know, Scott's a legend in his own right. And I got to follow the two of them on the trail a little bit and listen to their conversation, you know, and it's kind of like the, you know, fly buzzing around their head for, you know, a mile or so listening to them talk about foot treatments. But, uh, yeah, it was cool, man. I know David Horton is a lot older than Scott, but in the documentary, The Runner by J.B. Benner, I think when David Horton's going for the Pacific Crest Trail record, Scott's there, isn't he? Um, as a friend. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah. those, those guys go, yeah. yeah, they go, they go, those guys go way back and they go way back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, uh, you know, you know, thanks for coming and talking about that. But I mean, 
it sounds like a good question to ask really what's next you know you've took you told me that you're and it's true you've stated that something happened on the trail where you became where you wanted more of it so what's next for you and what, what how, how are you gonna when you're gonna get back on the trail man <laughs> that's yeah there's a lot to unpack there but um big question so, <laughs> yeah this you know this was four years ago so a lot has happened in that time i've had a i've had a son and uh he's two years old now but two years ago i i started working on building my own independent media platform <clears throat> kind of got a little bit disenfranchised with uh working in the working for clients and and working for other brands and i want to basically you know create independent media but uh so i i felt that there was something that was left untold with this story and um not not a knock on red bull they weren't this isn't this wasn't the film they were making and and i i felt like there was a, a greater a greater story to be told and so i started working on developing a web series called record attempt and i want to each each season will be a new endurance record and so that's what i'm working on right now and the first season is going to be the appalachian trail and you know obviously mm -hmm. you know this but uh yeah i'm gonna document your attempt in 2021 and we're going mm -hmm. to tell the story of the other record holders and put yeah. it all together that's what's yeah. next yeah that's that's exciting um i mean um equally excited in a different way you know because i know and that's how we became friends isn't it because and i like to say that friends as well because we are and um yeah it's it's been an, it's been every time we speak it's exciting talking about the appalachian trail i don't think i spoke to any other individual more than you about the appalachian trail you know the Appalachian trails, Appalachian trail, however you want to say it, they say there's no hard A's in the native language. So it's actually pronounced the Appalachian trail. Okay. Um, but, uh, there it's, it's a special thing and I didn't understand how special it was until I stepped foot on it. And it's, it's something I, I think anyone with the means to, and the, the, the physical capability should experience at some point in their life um it, any sort of trail any sort of um, outdoor trail hiking walking running whatever you're going to do i i think that everyone should experience that if they have the means and the physical capabilities and and for your own for your own health your own mental health and your physical health because it's going to be a different experience for everyone. Everyone experiences a trail or the Appalachian trail in a different way. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I would like to inspire people to get out there and it's a simple thing. I mean, whether you're going to do a section hike or a through hike or even just a day hike, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's good for the soul. And, uh, I'd like to inspire people to get out there, you know, whether, you know, it's one or two people or a thousand people. That's just kind of what, where I'm at with this in my life. Yeah. And I do definitely think, um, I had someone say that Appalachian trail has more miles than you have problems. So that by the time you get to the end, you've kind of sorted stuff out. And 
I really think just walking in nature is healing. Really, I think um, you don't need, you know, that I, you know, I mean, yeah, I know some people have to take medicine for medical reasons, but really, it's about a mental, like the mental health of people can be improved so much just by getting outside and walking not necessarily in a city but even that's kind of pretty cool but no particularly on a nature trail somewhere and when you've got 2000 miles ahead of you wow what an adventure man um well hey that was that was epic i learned so much actually just you know justin and um thanks for coming on the show and i said earlier to be continued so if it'd be nice to have you back on the show man in the future and um and speak more about your project because it does genuinely sound interesting. And I, I like you've got that surf film. There's no way people could watch that. Is there? Is that no? Oh, yeah, yeah. You could. Um, I think you can find it online now. You know, it was it was 2004, 2005 when we finished it. It's you can buy a DVD, I think, from somewhere. But uh, yeah, there's. Um, there is something called the surf surf network where you can i think you can get a digital download of it i i don't even i don't even know if it's still available but it's called drawing lines yeah and uh and yeah. and and you said it had a little bit of a um what do you call it cult following as well i love cult films man you know they're the best yeah it was probably a cult of a hundred or so but you know whatever <laughs> A cult's a cult, man. You know what I mean. <laughs> everyone's right. got to start. Everyone's got to start somewhere, right? Oh yeah, definitely. So, well, that's uh, me and Justin signing off. And um, guys, uh, thanks for listening. And I'll see you again next week. Nice one. Thanks for coming on the show, Justin. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. It was great fun, man. Appreciate it. Wow, that was cool. I learned so much that I never knew about before and uh, when I go back and watch Made to be Broken I think it's going to be really cool to have that insight of kind of what happened behind the scenes. Well thanks guys for listening uh, to me and Justin I really enjoyed that I hope you guys did. Um, Please if you do like the show subscribe um, share it with your friends and stuff and uh, go ahead and give me a rating that would be really much appreciated what else um yeah anyone interested in online run coaching go and check out my website uh the the address is www.christianultra.com that's christian spelt with a k or you can just go and uh, check out the show notes and hit the link and i'll be back next week with another guest and more conversation about ultra running thanks for listening guys see you next week bye bye